Hello, welcome to Oklahoma Ghost Stories and Other Phenomenon. My name is Brad Heath, your host, and tonight, special guest Mike Ricksecker, accomplished author and paranormal investigator. He's going to join us here in just a minute. Uh, first, I want to let you know about our sponsor for tonight's show. It is the Lindsay Law Firm, a practice that suits your needs. Many people think they'll never need a lawyer until they do. Uh, the Lindsay Law Firm practice is here to suit those people who find themselves in the most typical legal situations in which they need an experienced, talented, and aggressive legal advocate. The firm assists those in Tulsa and the surrounding area in criminal defense, divorce and custody litigation, business law and litigation, civil litigation, including banking disputes, insurance claims, and professional malpractice. When your life and livelihood are at stake, you need the best representation available. Please give the Lindsay Law Firm the opportunity to help you. The firm is located at 1612 South Denver Avenue near downtown Tulsa. Please give them a call, 918-587-0097. The first consultation is free, and we certainly appreciate the Lindsay Law Firm. They've been a sponsor with us now for quite a while, and we appreciate everything that they've done for us. So here we go. Uh, we've got a author who has been in Oklahoma. He's done the investigations. He has published a book, Ghosts and Legends of Oklahoma. I found my copy over at Books of Million in Tulsa. I know that uh, there are probably some other copies around the state as well, um, but we'll get his his website and all of his information. Of course, I'm talking about Mike Ricksecker. Mike, thanks for joining us tonight. And uh, how are things? Where are you at tonight? Yeah, these days I'm back in Ohio. This is where I am originally from, although I've been all over the country throughout my years. So, yeah, Cleveland, Ohio area these days. Well, and, and uh, your Browns lost. Yeah, they did. So, uh, apologies for that, but uh, you did have an Oklahoma at quarterback. Well, I say Oklahoma. Heck yeah. He went to OU. He went to OU. Yeah, yeah so, Baker. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You got to like that. But but so I know you were in the Air Force, but the Air Force is not what brought you to Oklahoma. How did you land in Oklahoma? Yeah, um, like I said, I've been around quite a bit from uh, from high school. I I enlisted in the Air Force. Was in. Uh, Alaska for three three years, and then Maryland for another three. When I got out, it was in the middle of the big tech boom, late 90s, and spent several more years there in Maryland. But when the uh, recession hit, it hit Maryland really hard. Um, you know, Taxes were raised astronomically, energy rates, the whole works. And uh, my ex-wife had family in Oklahoma, so we decided to give it a try out there. And I spent uh, about three years out there. And during that during that time, and of course, before you got here, I know you were uh, uh, working as a paranormal investigator. I know you wrote Ghosts of Maryland. Uh, you also wrote the uh, Chase Michael DeBarlow series. Um, you were already into this, and you were already an accomplished author. Uh, did you know that you were going to come to Oklahoma and, and look into the ghosts and legends of Oklahoma before you got here? Well, yeah, yeah. When I moved out there, that was one of the first things I asked my publisher because it was it was really awkward timing. Uh, right after uh, we moved to Oklahoma, my Maryland book came out, and so it was really awkward trying to market a 
Maryland book while living in Oklahoma. So that was a little bit of a challenge. So I asked my publisher, it was a great way to learn my, my new state too, was, you know, Hey, you know, cause they were expanding their line of of paranormal books at the time. And I just asked them, do you have an Oklahoma book? And if not, would you like me to take that on? And, you know, they immediately said yes. And so, um, yeah, I, I got with a local uh, paranormal investigative team out there, went on a bunch of investigations. I started traveling the state, learning about all these different haunted locations. And so, yeah, it was a, it was a great way to learn Oklahoma. And, you know, a lot of my uh, experiences that I still talk about today with, you know, like in my book, A Walk in the Shadows, uh, you know, I had a, a number of interesting experiences out there uh, that have become the, the crux of a lot of my work. So uh, it was definitely a fantastic time out there for, for me to learn about other types of, of uh, paranormal activity. When did you first really get involved in uh, paranormal investigations and and looking into the history and legends of, of uh, the areas that you've lived in, was it was it at a young age, or did you wait until adulthood? Yeah, well, I had uh, paranormal experiences going all the way back to when I was a young child. My my very first significant uh, paranormal experience. I was about eight years old and woke up in the middle of the night, and there was a shadow person standing in the corner of my room. Of course, I didn't know at that time that you called it a shadow person or anything like that. I just thought there was an intruder in my room and it was about to kill me. That's, you know, about what you think at that age. And it's just something really unusual. It actually, uh, you know, I'm trying to scream and my mouth's opening, nothing's coming out. It approached my bed, leaned over, grabbed me by the wrist, crossed my arms across my body. And then it ran off down the hall and I turned and looked and I, and I watched it actually run into a, a hallway closet, which is kind of weird. But I uh, found my voice, found my legs, ran off, told my parents, and they tried to console me, tell me that was uh, just a bad dream and what have you. But, you know, I was awake for this whole thing. It, it truly did happen. So that was the first significant, significant experience that let me know, you know, things like this truly exist. Uh, I had, when we moved from that house, which was in Massachusetts, back to Ohio, which is you know, where I was originally born, um, during that move, as we're you know, unpacking things and all that, I'm in my bedroom putting things away. And I kept seeing this figure standing in, my, uh, in the doorway of my bedroom. And I'd turn and look, and it would take off you know, down the hall. And this happened several times. I ended up asking my mother, and I was about 13 at the time, asked my mother about it. She apparently thought I was a little bit more mature and let me know that she had seen it too but she wasn't alarmed or anything like that she was just kind of more matter of fact more kind of you know reassuring and it was like okay so this apparently isn't anything bad and so i got playful with it and anytime that i would see it i'd say hey tom and it would take off uh you know out of the doorway and down the halls you know i was thinking you know like peeping tom and that right went, and that went on for about three or, or four months and then the activity subsided um you know, my first paranormal investigation was probably a year or two later. Uh, I was about 15 years old at the time, and I had no idea, again, that you called it a paranormal investigation. This is like 30 years ago. This is, you know, early 90s before all the television shows and all that came about. And I was in a small town in Ohio, so they didn't really talk about those sorts of things. But uh, we were, my friend David and I were at a friend's house, Lori, and she tells me, you know, we're just sitting there, you know, shooting the breeze, talking teenage drama, all that. And all of a sudden, she tells us, I think my house is haunted. And Dave and I were like, oh, this is interesting. Okay. 
And so she proceeds to tell us about, you know, how it was an old historic uh, home in, in the downtown uh, area of, of the town that we were at. And she told us about the uh, the family cemetery that was in the backyard and some different creepy things about the house. And all of a sudden she says, well, you know, every time that she would tack something up on the wall, one wall in her bedroom, it would always fall down. And whether it was, you know, an hour, a day, a week, whatever, uh, she could not keep anything tapped on this wall. So she thought it was a, a ghost in the house that was knocking it off. And so yeah. we went up there to investigate, you know, we're going to check it out. And so we're taking a look at the wall, checking out her room, all that. And my friend David, I had you know, no idea about this with him at that time until I saw it happen. He put his, he was an extremely sensitive guy, he put his hand flat on the wall, and all of a sudden he starts sweating profusely. And it turns this bright, bright red. And I'm looking at David like, oh my gosh, what's going on with my friend? And so he started going from wall to wall in the house looking for the hot spots. And that was kind of the moment there that I knew that. You know, I'd already had all these experiences when I was younger, but that was the moment that I knew that this is something that I was absolutely fascinated in, and I'd be involved some way, shape, or form for the rest of my life. Sure, and obviously that that path you've continued forward on, and, and it brought you eventually to Oklahoma, where you had uh, some great investigations, I'm sure, as well as uh, publishing the book, Ghosts and Legends of Oklahoma. And one of the chapters, you talk about... Um, Geronimo, who is buried at Fort Sill, and I've I've actually been there a couple of times to uh, visit the grave and visit the base. And being a uh, Air Force guy myself, you know I'm always interested in what other bases have going on and their history and and uh, what you can find there. And and Fort Sill is just full of all kinds of great great history. But the story of Geronimo being buried at Fort Sill is a real tragic one, but it goes deeper than that, right? I mean, th there are rumors that the uh, Skull and Bone group mm -hmm. uh, actually dug up uh, Geronimo and, and, and stole the skull. What, what, what did you guys find at Fort Sill when you were there, and, and, and what do you think about that story? Yeah, there are, you know, Fort Sill is supposed to be an extremely haunted fort, especially you know, around that area. And you know, we, you know, when we were down there, we got all kinds of different stories. We didn't actually investigate on Fort Sill when we were down there. So basically we gathered a lot of uh, various stories from people who had uh, experienced things. Um, we investigated some other uh, around that area, but um, yeah, as far as the, the skull, you know, there's no way to know for sure without <laughs> actually infiltrating the right. skull and bones. But yeah, that is the legend that they actually dug up that grave, somebody from the skull and bone uh, society there at, um, at Yale. And yeah, they have, the uh, the skull back there in their, for lack of a better term, their their temple. You know, it's a, it's a very uh, secure building, no windows. You're only the initiates are allowed to go in, and um, it, it's very it, it's a very creepy secret society. And so that's the legend. And you, you have those that say no, that never happened. But there's plenty of people that have said it happened. So without digging the grave and without going into skull and bones, there's no way to know for sure, which of course fuels the legend. Right. And, and anyone who's dug into that story, I think you'll find it's a pretty riveting story. And even, you know, back when that would have occurred, you know, I can tell you that just knowing the history of the base, that it's, it's a, it, it's highly probable just because of where the grave is located that you could get to it 
from a major highway, major road. Now you couldn't today, but back then you probably could because it's, it's really in a secluded area on Fort Sill and very, very tough to, uh, to find even, even today, just driving around on base and knowing what, what turns to make and where to go. You really have to be, uh, you know, on your toes to find it. But, you know, back in those days, I'm sure that they could probably have snuck on, onto the installation and done that. Um, but, you know, like I said, it's very secluded. Did you uh, get to come to Tulsa and investigate the uh, Gilcrease Museum? Because that's another uh, place where for decades people have been talking about the Gilcrease Museum being being haunted. Thomas Gilcrease was the was the uh, gentleman who started the museum and, and he passed in 1962. And I believe that they feel like uh, uh, Thomas Gilcrease and maybe multiple others actually haunt that museum. Yeah. Thomas uh, Gilcrease is supposed to be there as, as well as others. Um, I have not actually investigated it. We, we did a number of uh, residential cases there in, in Oklahoma. Um, you know, those, those three years in Oklahoma was, was uh, those were more, residential cases that we did rather than uh, historic locations. But yeah, Gilcrease, uh, certainly I had to include that in the book because it is supposed to be one of the more uh, haunted locations there in Tulsa. Yeah, it's a, and, and it's a great museum too. So anybody out there who hasn't been there, you know, go, go check it out for sure. Was there a uh, residence that you investigated that uh, made the hair on the back of your neck stand up? Oh, well, yeah, <laughs> that would have been it. And it was uh, the haunted, which aired on Animal Planet back in 2011. And it's 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 hit syndication. It's been on Netflix different times. Um, they've aired it over in France and all that it was called uh, the monster in the closet. And that took place in Edmond, Oklahoma. Um, and that was that oh, that was a tough case, um, you know, when it comes to television these days, they try to make everything look demonic. And as a paranormal investigator, very few of our cases are actually demonic. They're a lot more rare than, than people think because of the fact that, you know, television and the movies and all that have, have really pro proliferated this. However, this actually did end up being a demonic case. And it took us a while to get there, but, um, you know, because of all the, you know, you, you go through a number of investigations and that particular case, she was experiencing this red eyed entity in her closet. The other members of the family had seen this thing. They had actually experienced 20 years of hauntings, uh, at this house and they never spoke to each other about it until, you know, activity really started amping up with the adult daughter, Talison. And, one of them mentioned, I believe it was, it was Talison, who mentioned it at the dinner table one night. And once it got brought up, all these stories started uh, coming forth from the other members of the family. So they gave us a call and we went out and we did, you know, at least a half dozen uh, different investigations there. You know, all kinds of follow up. We were in constant contact with the family and it was an increase in activity. Um, you know, as we kept investigating, it was getting worse and worse. She was, she was certainly oppressed by this entity and, and got to the point where it's borderline possession, where we had Carl Johnson, a demonologist come out uh, to help us cleanse the house. And that's when we filmed for the television show. But, um, you know, one of the investigations that we did, the, the cat was going crazy. So I'm following the cat around 
have. <laughs> I know it seems crazy, but and that was kind of the premise of, of Animal Planet was you know activity with uh, paranormal activity that's picked up by the animals, and so you know the cat goes to the uh, the dining room into the kitchen, it heads back over by the uh, the bedrooms and stops dead right in front of her her doorway, and all of a sudden because I'm following the cat, all of a sudden I see you know, what the cat saw, and that is this this huge black mass in the middle of the bedroom and everything, you know, the whole feeling of it was extremely heavy cat takes off around the corner and goes back out to the living room and the black mass just kind of slowly dissipated away. And it was, you know, it was really one of the first times I'd seen, you know, a shadow entity as basically like a black cloud. It was really unusual, but, um, things got really hairy when we did the cleansing and we were filming, uh, for the television shows, we're, you know, going through the house, you know, we've got the sage, we've got the holy water, and so the whole works. Carl's praying over the place. We're going room to room. And we had asked the family to, to stay outside in the side yard while we did this, while we cleansed the house for them. But Talison, the girl who's being oppressed, came in to use the restroom. <clears throat> we ended up finding her in the uh, master bedroom, talking at something unseen against the wall. And she's going on, you know, saying, you know, why, you know, why are you doing this to us? You know, why are you terrorizing me? Why are you terrorizing me? All that sort of stuff. And so Carl decided that he was going to do a blessing over her. So as he's doing this, and I, as I went back over my audio later, I caught this voice right there that said, die. And then in the video, you see her get, she doubles over in pain. Like she gets punched in the gut. So the whole, the whole thing, you, you know, here's Carl doing the blessing, you hear this die, and then oof, she gets punched in the gut. She doubles over in pain, falls to the ground. We, we pick her up and get her on the bed. She's okay. But then other crazy things start happening that they actually did not include in the show. And that was, we had you know, one of our meters set up by the closet in her bedroom where a lot of the activity was taking place. That starts going off like crazy. The back door to the bedroom, the master bedroom, would start blowing open. We'd close it, blow open again. So we ended up having to deadbolt the thing. Carl did a blessing over the door. And we end up continuing on with the cleansing, push this thing outside into the backyard. And when we're in the backyard, the wind kicks up like crazy and the cats are running around in circles around us. And finally, we get this thing pushed out of the yard. The wind stops. Carl drops to a knee. You know, he's exhausted, but we kind of collect ourselves and we're all right. We end up going to the side yard where the family had been staying and, you know, we're telling them that we're done. And we, you know, make some remarks about, wow, that wind was really crazy how it kicked up like that. And the family looks at us like we're nuts. And they're like, what wind? We, there's no wind over here. <laughs> so, yeah. Wow. So it was, uh, yeah, that was definitely a hair raising experience with that house. Did you ever get the feeling uh, on this investigation or any other investigation that uh, maybe something has followed you, maybe followed you home? Or, uh, you know, if you go back to the same place twice, that it recognizes you again? Well, yeah, I haven't really had anything follow me home. There have been different times I've been on investigations and you can kind of feel something following along behind you. And I just turn around and I point, I'll point at and say, no, you stay here. You cannot follow me home. And you know, they'll, they'll listen. You just kind of put your foot down about it. Um, but what was the second half of the question? I'm sorry. 
Well, if you go, have you investigated anything? Oh, yeah, to recognize you and, and get the feeling like it's yeah, yeah, for sure, for yeah. sure. You know, you you repeatedly go back to a uh, whether it's a home or a historic building or what have you. The more times you go back, uh, the the more the spirits there will recognize you. I mean, more often than not, what you're dealing with are human spirits, and they will recognize you. You can develop, you know, a, a rapport, you know, with these different spirits and, and actually build friendships and. You know, it's it's certainly a lot more effective. If you're really trying to find out what's going on at a location, investigate it multiple times. Because just going there once is like, you know, showing up as a salesman as at somebody's door. You know, you're just kind of saying hello, and, you know, you may not get, you know, much of a response or much of a positive reaction, if anything. You know, but if you keep going back multiple times, you know, they become familiar with you. They're like, oh, hey, yeah, it's, it's, it's that Mike guy again. And they'll start to open up a little bit more. To right. Yeah, sure. And, and I'm sure that over time you get more and more comfortable with your investigations because you get into somewhat of a routine. You know what to expect. Uh, is it different now than when it was, say, say 10, 15 years well, ago? Well, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm a lot more seasoned investigator now. Um, you know, as far as the paranormal industry, sure, it, it's a little bit different. It's certainly mainstream now. And, you know, some some places are no longer accessible. There's other locations that keep popping up on the map and say, hey, we have a haunting too. Come check it out. Some of the faces have changed over the years. So, yeah, there's some differences there. Um, for me, I think I've uh, you know, really grown into, if you call it a technique, my, my technique, which is, you know, I just go into a location and I try to build a friendship with a, uh, you know, with the spirits that are there. And it was kind of interesting, uh, a, a place that I just, on a project that I was working on here, uh, at, at the end of 2020, I'd gone back to, it, it's in, uh, Illinois mineral Springs hotel in Alton. And I haven't been there since the beginning of the year. And really my last, Full investigation there had been a year and a half ago and i had really developed a friendship with the with the spirit in the one part of the abandoned part of the hotel the upper floor but i wasn't there for that particular spirit there was other activity up there that i had experienced on one of my prior investigations that for this project that was the goal and aim of the project was that it was uh, regarding shadow activity and we had seen smoke billow up into the apparition of a little girl down the one hall. So I was up there for that. But while I was up there filming and working on that down the other hallway where this other spirit was at, I keep, I kept hearing all these noises. And so finally I ended up having to go down there to check out what was going on. And right as I walk into the room uh, where this female spirit is at is I just got rushed with all of this energy and I had to apologize. Cause like, I'm sorry, I did not come down here and say hello and that, that's, that's what the deal was. Right. It's like, hey, right. I'm up here. Haven't seen you in a while. Why are you not coming down here and talking to me? So, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, and, I, and, and I've heard that from other investigators before, too, that they'll, they'll show up, you know, in a location that they've not been to in a while. And they always kind of get that feeling that, that something there has remembered them. In your professional opinion, what do you think we're dealing with when we talk about spirits and ghosts? Are they just spirits or ghosts or souls who, who have just refused to move on or is there something keeping them stuck well in? you know it's kind of a mixed bag i mean there are some that uh you know do not want to move on for for one reason or another um 
there may be something sometimes you run into a spirit that because of their uh you know religion or, or what have you that they don't want to move on because they they fear you know what the other side might bring there are others that have a uh you know purpose that they still want to uh, accomplish here on earth or they may be waiting for somebody like you know my grandfather when he passed away um there were many members of our family who had interactions with him uh myself included but he was really just hanging around and waiting for my grandmother to pass and once she did you know didn't hear anything from from grandpa again didn't hear anything from grandma because they you know went on so uh so there's a lot of different reasons as to why they could be still here on earth sure and and that's that's one of the more i think uh uh, heartwarming stories as opposed to what, what you really tend to hear more of which is lost souls or souls who weren't exactly great people while they were here on earth and they don't want to know what happens when they cross over to the other side because it may not be uh something that they uh that they want to experience but you mentioned monster in the closet you went into went into that with uh in detail for animal planet Uh, give our listeners kind of a peek behind the curtain of what it's like because i know a lot of our listeners like to watch the shows and whether they're 30 minutes or an hour, there's there's hours upon hours of footage that goes into those things. And give us a peek behind the curtain of what that's like to to shoot something like that. And yeah, like you said, there's there's definitely hours and hours worth of footage that's shot. Um, you know, the the story they they have about 42 minutes to tell a story. And like with Monster in the Closet, they gave you know half of that time to upfront to the family to tell their story. So the way they had to adjust everything was they made it appear that, you know, all these things were happening with the family. They called us and we did a single investigation, determined that it was a demon then Carl called Carl Johnson out. But that's, that's not really what happened. In fact, that die EVP that I told you about to tell their story, they put that into our actual investigation to say that we got that EVP, decided it was above us and called Carl. <laughs> so you're not, you're not getting the full story. Right. Even though they stayed pretty true to what happened. You know, all the footage there from the cleansing night, um, you know, was, was actually spot on. That was ex- exactly what happened. They had to leave out a few things, like I said, blessing the back door and, you know, other things that happened. You know, like when the back door is blowing open, the meter's going off. They, they did not have time to include all that. You know, there's hours and hours of interview footage that, of course, had to get cut. So you see a couple of, you know, a couple minute snippets of, you know, myself and some of the other investigators. Uh, and, and, you know, we're, we're doing this for, for hours. So, you know, they had used some of our investigation footage. Um, they're doing all these different recreations. Uh, one of the things that's interesting is... Um, even doing the recreations for the house as they're telling the story for the family, they actually used a substitute house because the house that the family had was really small. And so it was a bit much for them when they were doing those shots because it was a uh, you know, higher quality cameras for those to get all their equipment in there and the crew and all that, you know, because they wanted to do some like long range establishing shots and things like that. So they actually used a substitute house uh, for that. But then the cleansing night, they just had two guys with a couple, you know, little, you know, Sony handy cams uh, to film all of that. So it was really a uh, an interesting experience. That was 
uh, you know, my first experience with television. I've had several since then, but um, yeah, the you really have uh, no idea the amount of stuff that ends up on the floor because they just they only have that little bit of time uh, to tell their story. Right, and and it, I want the listeners to remember that when you go and. I know everyone's going to go look up Monster in the Closet and go, you know, find that to watch that particular show. And when you do keep keep what Mike is saying in mind that, you know, there's there's hours upon hours of footage and things that have happened that 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 doesn't make the cut. There's just not time. Mike, we we, we mentioned your Air Force career. Uh, when did you uh, join the Air Force and what did you do? While you yeah, I enlisted in 1992 straight out of high school. Uh, basically, I. <laughs> Um, I graduated, and two weeks later, I was in basic training. Uh, basically, I was in the I was in the computer field. Uh, it was a, a it was a three Charlie Oscar uh, communications computer support or whatever they called it back then. Um, so basically, it's, it's a lot of what I ended up doing right after I got out of the Air Force, which you know, was you know networking, systems administration, and um, I. I did some coding and what have you. So did that for three years in Alaska, Elmendorf Air Force Base, excuse me. And then um, the next three was uh, down in Maryland, Fort Meade, and uh, worked in the NSA building. Yeah, I was over at uh, Dover in Delaware. So we weren't too far away from one another at that time. Yeah, so... And and Elmendorf, you know, it's a great place, but you're in Elmendorf, right? So, you know, it's a if you don't like that kind of uh, kind of atmosphere, then it uh, it can be some it can be a tough duty assignment. But uh, yeah, you too. Hey, thanks for your service. Let me let, let me say that, and I know our our listeners definitely appreciate that. And uh, so, when you went through basic training, what what squadron were you? Oh in? my you gosh, um, it was it was the yeah? Because they all oh, had nicknames. So, <laughs> um, what was it, thirty four ninety fifth? The nine. Okay, so maybe they had. They they seem to change these things about once every five years or something. But uh, I ask that because I've run into so many people who I've uh, been in the same squadron as in basic training, which seems to be like the only common ground that a lot of us have. We all go through the same place, unlike the Marine Corps, they have two different ones and the army's got one everywhere. It seems like. So uh, I always ask that cause I'm just curious if uh, we were actually, yeah, I know I still have the t-shirt um, in, a, in a drawer somewhere, but <laughs> that was a little while ago. Well, let's get back on topic. So uh, what have you been working on recently? I know that you've got a lot of things that you are working on. Uh, tell us what projects you've been involved in. And, yeah, well, and the, the latest book is A Walk in the Shadows, A Complete Guide to Shadow People, which does have a, a number of stories there uh, from Oklahoma. Um, and, and it's an, I, I tell the story there with uh, the monster in the closet. There's uh, Muskogee, Oklahoma is in there, a location from there. That's Stone Lion in Guthrie, Oklahoma, uh, which that is actually my favorite all-time haunted house is the Stone Lion Inn. Um, so that was my most recent book. Came out about this time last year, and actually in a couple of days here, uh, there's a second edition of that book that will be coming out. So I'll definitely uh, grab the second edition. 
Uh, most recent television project was uh, the Alaska Triangle. So that was you know, a real treat all these years later, <laughs> getting to go back up to uh, Anchorage, Alaska uh, and kind of hit the old stomping grounds. Uh, there's uh, supposed to be a second season of that coming out, but, you know, COVID has is, is stalled that project at the moment. And, uh, you know, hopefully that'll uh, resume here pretty quickly. Uh, on Discovery Plus, there's a uh, new show that's going to be coming out here. I think it's next month, but it's it's Fright Club. It's with the Ghost Brothers and Jack Osborne, and uh, uh, basically they have you know people that submitted their paranormal evidence, and you know different experts weigh in on what they they think it is. And so I was featured uh, in a couple of those. And right now I'm in the middle uh, of a project, a docu series I'm putting together called The Shadow Dimension, which will be out here in a couple of months just you know going through the editing process and getting that out that'll be out on amazon basically it's you know really a follow-up to uh my book a walk in the shadows but i'm actually going to uh specific locations to look for uh reported shadow activity that's there so when i was talking earlier about mineral springs hotel in alton illinois that's a location the conjuring house uh in rhode island where the the house that the uh, conjuring movie was based off of it so it's a uh, really interesting project uh, a number of other things in the works along with that uh you know, some courses that i'm putting together uh with the shadow dimension and uh, something that i call the connected universe so I, had, I have a lot of irons in the fire right now yeah so you, you that sounds very familiar because i i, I too am, am very similar in that fashion i i I seem to always have four or five different projects started and, and, and only one finished. So <clears throat> you mentioned uh, the Stone Lion Inn in Guthrie, Oklahoma, and that's a great place. I think a lot of people consider it maybe the most haunted or most famous haunted uh, place in Oklahoma. And uh, you said you really enjoyed that one. What did you enjoy you know, most it has about that Stone just Lion Inn? What I call a creepy, cool ambiance about it. I mean, you, you walk up to the house, you just look at it, and you're like, yeah, that, that's a haunted house. And <clears throat> when you walk in, it has that, you know, really uh, just, just that mystique, that ambience about it. You know, you hear these creaks and groans of, of the old house. And, and Becky's done a, a fantastic job of restoring uh, that building and everything looks, you know, amazing inside. I love the library in there. Um, you know, you can uh, you can almost like hear whispers upon the air while you're in there, and you know, footsteps and, and all that. And I've had a lot of lot of really interesting experiences uh, in that house, and I just I haven't been back to investigate there in so long. And one of these days, uh, you know, I'll certainly head back and do that. You had mentioned the Conjuring House, and it's interesting because when. Uh, I was making some notes before the show tonight. I had decided to go ahead and write down just a few things that I didn't know if we would be able to touch on these or not. And one of the things that I wrote down was Ed and Lorraine Warren. And I wrote that I wrote their name down because they are the the pioneers. They are the legends. And uh, I'm sure you've probably read. Well, I've certainly read quite a few. Um, I, I grew up mostly on Hans Holzer, though. So Hans actually predates them a little bit. Um, and so I, okay. I grew up uh, on him. But certainly, yes, I'm very familiar with, with Ed and Lorraine. And um, I'm actually very good friends with the Perrin family who, who lived in that house. Um, and it's <laughs> what really happened there and what they show in the movie are 
two very different things. Yeah. And, you know, I think we get that a lot sometimes uh, in this in this world of uh, paranormal activity. And just so my listeners understand what you're talking about, um, explain to them just you don't have to go into much detail, but explain to them what the movie shows and and, and what the well, reality was. what the movie shows is you know, a, a demonic possession by Bathsheba and. Um, unfortunately, you know, while Bathsheba is somewhat connected to the property, um, those connections, uh, people have a hard time historically trying to prove those connections of her to the property. What really happened was a seance gone wrong um, when Ed and Lorraine were there. I mean, yes, there were hauntings going on in the house. Um, you know, it was actually Carl and Keith Johnson, the uh, those brothers that actually you know, got Ed and Lorraine to, to come out there to see what was going on. Lorraine suggested doing this seance. And what ended up happening during this seance is that something did take a hold of Carolyn during the seance. Uh, they rebuked it. Carolyn went flying back into the parlor, was knocked out cold. She still doesn't remember to this day exactly what happened during that. And because that happened, Roger punched Ed dead in the face and told him to never come back. So it was, it was very different than what really happened. Yeah. Well, you know, they have that, uh, you know, that ability to take some artistic relief sure. with what they're, with what they're doing, you know, with, with what they're putting out there. Uh, you got to get people to come back. And I think what is there now four or five, uh, conjuring movies or um, yeah there's quite a few i mean there's two it. that are actually named the conjuring and then there's a you know a few spin-off movies so i think there's five right now and they have the conjuring three well and i guess i guess all the annabelle movies are spin-offs and there's three of those now it's kind of hard to keep up so what maybe seven of them now i don't know yeah and i think it's because i think it's our it modern is, yeah. day amityville to tell you the truth because it, everybody seems to know about it so Mike, if uh, people wanted to find out more about you and what you Yeah, you can find me at MikeTheRickSecker.com. You can also find a lot of my work at uh, HauntedRoadMedia.com or the Haunted Road Media YouTube channel. You can also catch Tuesday nights my uh, live stream show, Edge of the Rabbit Hole, which is the uh, Edge of the Rabbit Hole channel. Those channels are are both on YouTube. So, um, yeah, you can find me all over, of course, social media, Facebook, uh, Instagram, Twitter, all that great stuff. And, guys, we're going to post a link uh, to that website, and we're going to give you the cover for Ghosts and Legends of Oklahoma. We want everybody to go uh, pick up this book. It's a great it's a great guide, a great overview of some of the spots around the state of Oklahoma that a lot of you are probably familiar with, but there may be some bits of information in there that you didn't know. There also may be a couple of things in there that you were not aware of, so you definitely want to pick it up, add it to your collection. Uh, I certainly have, and I encourage everyone else to do the same thing. And, Mike... Man, uh, we're going to have to touch base somewhere down the road because you've got a lot of things going on, and I want to, uh, you know, keep up. With Absolutely, you sounds like a plan. I really appreciate you uh, having me on the show, Brad. It's a good time. Absolutely, absolutely. And guys, listen, be sure and uh, like the uh, podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Spotify, Anchor, wherever you go to get your podcast. Make sure you hit the like button, subscribe to us. We certainly appreciate it, and. Again, if you guys have questions for Mike, you can send them to me. And I will get you an answer. And uh, we we'll, might even put that in the newsletter uh, coming up here in the next couple of weeks. So 
For Mike Ricksecker, I'm Brad Heath. I appreciate everybody tuning in tonight. Uh, we will see you on the next show. Thanks.